listeners, just so you're aware, there is a couple of audio uh, issues, especially in the first half of this episode, where I sound like I'm talking out of a funnel. This is because I forgot completely to turn on my microphone. Uh, I did the best I could, uh, so just bear with me. The second half of this episode, which is the lengthier part is uh, much clearer with the audio. So just bear with me. These mistakes will happen. Just want to apologize and uh, hope you guys enjoy me and Robert breaking down about time. Thanks. Welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. Joining me this week is frequent guest of the show and SifBop.com contributor and host of Robert's Thoughts MovieCast, Robert Buffard. How are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. I love being on here. Of course, man. Of course, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Have you watched anything recently that you'd like to, you know, recommend or not recommend? I haven't watched a ton of stuff, a ton of new stuff lately. I've been doing my own prep for my own episodes of stuff that I've uh, watched before, just doing a bunch of rewatches. But I did get to see Enola Holmes last night, uh, the new movie on Netflix with Millie, Bro- Millie Bobby Brown as the sister of Sherlock and Mycroft Holmes. And Henry, Henry Cavill is Sherlock Holmes himself. And I got to say, that movie is a whole lot of fun. It's not like 10 out of 10 or anything, but I love seeing Millie Bobby Brown finally able to show her charisma and her fun nature, which she's not able to do in Stranger Things. It's kind of in the vein and in the spirit of Fleabag because it's the same director. It's just a whole lot of fun. And I, I'm glad that I finally got to watch it after seeing the trailer a few weeks ago. Yeah, I actually, oddly enough, I did the same thing last night. Uh, me and and my wife, we, we sat down, and in-laws, my in-laws sat down and watched it. And I thought it was really cute. My only issue with it is sometimes, tonally, it got very, like, some of the violence in it was pretty harsh. Like, some yeah. of the fighting sequences and stuff. And yeah, it that... felt like, okay, this is a kid's movie. But then when I'm watching that, I'm like, I don't know if this is a kid's movie. Yeah, <laughs> got very I 100% violent. agree. But honestly... It was really good seeing Millie Bobby Brown, you know, getting let letting her personality shine through a bit. Mm-hmm. Not that she doesn't really in Stranger Things. It's just it's two completely different roles. And this, yeah, I I think she's wonderful. And Henry Cavill is he's Superman. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And I love seeing him do more than Superman because not that I don't like him as Superman. I've just wanted to see him do more because I liked him so much. So it's fun to see him branch out a bit. Yeah, he was my favorite part of this uh, past uh, Mission Impossible movie. Was it Fallout? Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought he was a pretty good villain. But uh, yeah, I have watched a couple of things this week. Uh, firstly, last week I said on the show that I was going to watch Color Out of uh, Color of the Space, which is a uh, horror film with uh, Nicolas Cage. And I got to be honest, while I enjoyed it, I, I know that most people will not enjoy this. Um, or most people that listen to this would probably not enjoy it as much. Now, I, I really enjoy like trippy horror films and, and, and the like, but this was, my wife hated it. <laughs> my wife really hated it, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. Nick Cage was awesomely over the top. 
Uh, on a brighter note, though, uh, it, yes, yes. Per, this, this didn't top anything in Mandy. The bathroom scene in Mandy is still the, the most over-the-top Nick Cage I think I've ever seen. But it was still pretty fun to watch him go go a little loony. Um, nice. But uh, also, I had the privilege uh, of watching uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Robert... My God, what a timely and powerful film that was. Um, once it releases, I, I cannot recommend that movie enough. It's currently my favorite to win Best Picture at the Oscars, and maybe even win Aaron Sorkin a Best Directing nomination, if not get him a Best Director award. Um, if you want to hear my thoughts on the movie further, though, I, I highly recommend going over to sifpop.com and checking those out for a, a full review. Uh, have you been looking forward to that movie, Rob? Yeah, I, I think the cast looks great. And obviously, I love Aaron Sorkin. I don't think a lot of people really loved him directing Molly's Game, but I thought Molly's Game was really good. So and I love everything that he writes as well, of course. So I, I've been looking forward to that a lot. Um, I, I don't think I've seen anything that is ready to be in the best picture conversation yet for this year, but I'm looking forward um, as it's getting later in the year to seeing more stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Me too. 100%. It's this, this is up there. Like I, again, I two movies I've seen this year that I've really loved and that's the way back and uh, onward. But and of course, I really liked uh, King of Staten Island, but you know, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily call any of those critical darlings. I think they're all fresh right. on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think people liked them. But you know, no one's really clamoring that for them to win or be nominated for Best Picture or anything like that. But this, this is definitely a uh, an Academy Award darling. I think. I think this is going to be a, an award season darling for sure. Yeah, there's this one, and then Netflix is also coming out with Mank, right? The Fincher movie. And then I think there's at least one or two more for mm-hmm. for Netflix this year, at least. Yeah, Netflix is, uh, they're going to crush it this year at the award, in the awards category. Because nothing really else can come out. <laughs> Theaters are, exactly. you know, still, well, some of them, like, was it 75% or something like that, are open, but... There's no new releases, and the releases that were supposed to be in October have now pushed to December, and um, things that were supposed to be released in November have now moved to, what is it, May? Like, Black Widow's moved to May, and the whole MCU has switched their whole schedule. It's it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. I envision this being a heavy uh, Netflix award season, for sure. Hey, and I'm not complaining, because that means I'll be able to see them. <laughs> good point yeah because that's one of the trouble troublesome things that i had to do last year um living in in rala uh, i had to travel like an hour and a half to third or like 30 minutes to go see any of the smaller films mm-hmm. which was really annoying <laughs> really yeah really annoying the reason that things are getting delayed and moved around isn't fun, but strictly from a film release standpoint, it's good for audiences, but that's literally the only way that it's good. Yeah. Yeah. True that man. True that. But anyways, this week is our last week dedicated to English films. Uh, Honestly, this has been a blast, uh, but I believe we saved the best for last with about time. A film directed by Richard Curtis 
who has been on here, by the way, um, or not been physically on here, but his movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral, we've talked about it this month. But mm-hmm. uh, this movie stars Dummel Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye, Lydia Wilson, Vanessa Kirby, Tom Hollander, and Margot Robbie. Uh, if you aren't familiar with About Time, the plot synopsis reads like such according to Google. When Tim Lake is 21, his father tells him a secret. The men in their family can travel through time. Although he can't change history, Tim uh, resolves uh, to improve his life by getting a girlfriend. He meets Mary, falls in love, and finally wins her heart via time travel and a little cunning. However, as his unusual life progresses... Tim finds that special that this special ability can't shield him and those he loves from problem of ordinary life. Isn't that the truth? This movie is so emotionally manipulative. It's not fair. (laughs) Um, Now we've already, like I said, we've already done one Richard Curtis film this month with four weddings and a funeral. But to me, this is the best film in his filmography. That's pretty good filmography, to be honest. Yeah. That being said, my guest on the show has a real special place in his heart for this movie. So Robert, when was the first time you saw this film and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? So I first saw this about two summers ago. Um, I think I heard it recommended on a different podcast and I thought, Oh, that sounds interesting. Let me check it out. I watched it with my then girlfriend, now wife, and we immediately loved it right away. And um, since then it's only gone up in my estimation it's become one of those movies that i can turn on literally anytime and we'll get into the ending and how emotional it is but for some reason it doesn't like destroy me every time i watch it it almost gives me a warm feeling now because of because of how accustomed i am to it and how used to it i am and, you know just the, all the experience that i have with it because i've seen it maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 times in the last two years. I just can't stop watching it for whatever reason. Um, I actually did my own podcast on it about a couple months ago, and I hadn't watched it since then um, until preparing for this podcast. And that was the longest I'd gone without watching it since I first saw it, probably. And do you ever like listen to a song or an album a bunch of times and you really, really love them and then you kind of get tired of it and then you don't watch, listen to it for a while and then you come back to it and you kind of forgot how great it was? Yeah, man. That actually, oddly enough, that happened with me today. Uh, I'm a huge 30 Seconds to Mars fan. That, that's my, my favorite band. Mm-hmm. And my favorite song or my second favorite song of all time is Kings and Queens. Yeah. And I'll... I love that song, but I'll go stretches where I just don't listen to it. Cause I'm like, man, I've heard this song a thousand times, but then I turned it on today and I was just blasting it in my car on the way mm-hmm. home from the gym. It's just such an amazing song. So yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. That's how I was with about time. I hadn't watched it in a long time for me and I turned it on uh, this afternoon and I was like, man, this movie hasn't lost any of its luster. Um, it's gone all the way up from like just making it onto my favorite movies of all time list to firmly at number four. Uh, It just has a special place in my heart because of the themes and because of its watchability and because how uh, the main relationship in it isn't the husband wife relationship, as you might expect. It's actually the father son relationship. And I turned my dad onto this movie and he loves it about as much as I do. 
So this is a, a special bonding movie for the two of us. So that's kind of why it's so important and special to me. Yeah, man, this this movie takes on a whole different meaning for me now. Um, but I totally get what you're saying. This movie is just, it's a wonderful movie. And the themes that this movie gives you without, I feel like having to hit you over the head or being overly dark or overly sappy, it kind of hits that perfect blend between the two. You know what I mean? Showing yeah. the, yep. showing how bittersweet life can be. And for the most part, this movie's sweet, but it does have its moments where real life comes into play. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great movie. You know, the first time I watched this film was, was with my father, my mother and, and my sister, oddly enough on a snow day in North Carolina. And I believe it was on the Hulu. Um, I, th- I believe it was on Hulu. And I, I just remember being absolutely delighted with the movie and everyone else feeling the same way. But again, this movie kind of takes on an entirely meaning uh, for me in my life now when I watch it. And for that reason, I absolutely adore it and and I adore everything about it. It's it's a little difficult for me to watch it, not going to lie, but I really adore this movie with my own heart. But it's weird because moving on to the Rotten Tomatoes score, you would think this movie would be in the 90s, at least. At least I would have it in the 90s. But yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes score is at 68% with the consensus being beautifully filmed and unabashedly sincere about time finds director Richard Curtis at his most sentimental. Now I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you agree with this score? (laughs) Well, I don't agree with it, but I understand why people don't think it's good because a lot of people think I've read up on it a lot. A lot of people think it's too sappy and the time travel aspect of it is what they don't appreciate. And it kind of bugs me sometimes when people get hung up on the time travel aspect of some of certain movies, this one specifically when it's saying something so profound and it's so sweet and charming. I just wish you could yeah. get around the time travel stuff because time travel almost never works. Um, I, yeah, I wish it was up in the nineties, like you said. Yeah. Like again, it's, it's just a Ron tomatoes is an aggregator. So yeah. it's, it's, they're not giving it score, but, it's weird to me because I don't, I feel like the time travel aspect in this movie works pretty well because they don't overcomplicate it. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's simple. It's simple. And there's no big machine. They never use it in a way where it convolutes the plot and he has to go back in time and try to fix things. It, mm-hmm. It's just, it's more of a metaphor for trying to live your life the best way that you can. And right. I, I think the time travel aspect of this movie is great, honestly. Yeah. And the metaphor is why I kind of brush aside any of the plot holes, any of the perceived plot holes, because it's saying something so profound and important. Exactly. It, it really, this movie really sings like mm-hmm. the more I watch it again, the ending, it rips my, it rips my heart out. I, but in a, Sounds weird, but in a good way. Like it rips my heart out in a good way. It's like a right. good cry. You know what I mean? It's not like yeah. a a star is born cry where you're like, oh my god, this is so tragic. <laughs> it's it's a 
it's a beautiful cry if that makes sense yeah it's tragic but in a yeah i i don't know a better way to explain it it's tragic but in like a good good way yeah it's bittersweet like life yeah. is it's exactly bittersweet um but moving on to some fun facts here zoe de chanel was originally cast as mary but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts and rachel mcadams was cast uh what do you think about that robert do you think zoe de chanel could have pulled off the role of mary yeah i think zoe de chanel could have done great i actually really love her between uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy elf and especially new girl which is one of my favorite sitcoms ever um but I don't think Rachel McAdams is a bad job either because I love her as well as an actress. Honestly, we could. I think we'll probably get into this later, but I think the role of Mary is the least developed and least intriguing out of all of the main characters. So either one of them, I think, work fine. Um, Rachel McAdams is obviously now an Oscar nominee, and I think she's a great actress, so I'm, I'm happy to have her, but I think it also would have worked well with Zoe Deschanel's quirkiness. It just might have been, you know, a tad different. Yeah, I think they're a little different. I think Rachel McAdams is a very, I mean, I, lo- I love them both. You know, Zoe Deschanel, you said them. Elf, New Girl. Um, my wife is more of a fan of New Girl than I am, but I still love New Girl. Mm-hmm. And she's great in that. She's so charming. But I think her as Mary would have given her that quirkiness, like a little extra dimension of quirkiness. And I don't know if that would have played as sweet because, you know, um, Domo Gleason's character. um, Why am I forgetting his name? His main character in the movie. It's Tim. right? Yeah. Tim. Yeah. He's awkward himself. Yeah. So I think if you would have had two awkward people coming together, it would have, it could have been a little too awkward, I guess you could say. Um, well, Rachel McAdams you, isn't awkward. So now that you say that, it has me thinking. When she's first introduced, like after the the blind date in the dark, when she comes out, she, she trips. They try to make her awkward and a little bit more relatable, but I don't think it works. And maybe Zoe Deschanel would have captured that a little bit more naturally, but. Um, I think, like like I mentioned, Mary's my only gripe of this movie, and I'm sure we can get into that later in your uh, in the awards section. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, despite the film being set in England, none of the three actors who play the main love interest in the film are actually English. Dalma Gleeson is uh, Irish, Rachel McAdams is Canadian, and Margot Robbie is Australian. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's, that's a... Yeah, that's a little fun fact. Rachel McAdams plays an American character, but other than that, that's an interesting fact. Yeah. Um, I always forget, for some reason, that Margot Robbie is Australian. I don't know why that is. I think it's because whenever I, I hear her talk, I just the voice in my head that I hear is her accent from Wolf of Wall Street, which isn't far off from her as uh, Harley Quinn. Right, that's what I was about to mention. She does something similar in in those two, so you took the words right out of my mouth. And she's just such <laughs> a great actress. With Itania too, she does a different accent, so she, she's very versatile, and I love her a lot as an actress. Oh yeah, she's incredible. You know, 
Unpo- I don't know if this is unpopular or not, but I think she should have won the Oscar for Itania. I don't remember what she was up against, but I think she was great in that movie. I believe she was up against um, uh, three billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, Why am I forgetting her name? Um, Frances McDormand. Did she win? Yes, Frances McDormand won won for uh, three, three billboards. Gotcha. So that's who she went up against. She was also against Sally Hawkins for um, Oh, Shape of Water. Water creature movie. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Shape of Water. I am having the worst time remembering things tonight. Wow. But um, yeah, it looks that's like, a stacked cast. Yeah, it looks like Sarsha Ronan was also nominated for Lady Bird that year. So that's a stacked category. Um I, I would actually go between Margot and, and Sarah for that. So I, I wouldn't argue that uh, she would she should have won for I, Tanya. And yes, I agree. I, About Time has a stacked cast as well as the that category you're being stacked. Yeah, this, this cast is really stacked. Speaking of cast being stacked, this movie has three of the Harry Potter series co-stars. Richard uh, Griffiths, Bill Nye, and Dummel Gleason. Um, now, Bill Nighy, I, know, I believe I know who he plays. Domo Gleason, I know, plays one of the Weasley brothers. Mm-hmm. Who does uh, Richard uh, Griffiths play? Uh, Richard Griffiths plays Uncle Vernon, uh, the uncle that Harry lives with. And Bill Nighy plays, uh, okay. yeah. plays the Minister of Magic in the last two movies. Or the last, maybe just the seventh part one. I don't remember. He, I think he yeah. dies in that one. <laughs> yeah harry potter is known for killing off their characters sometimes even off screen yep which is one of my biggest gripes with those movies but that's the first thing yeah that's the first thing i saw bill nye in and he's like the the super serious minister trying to you know take the the magic stuff from harry blah, blah blah i could get into all that i'm a big harry potter fan but it's funny because after that i saw him like in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy then Shaun of the dead then about time then love actually and i'm like man this guy does a lot of silly stuff it's exactly the opposite of what he was known for for me initially the first movie i saw him in was underworld oh i don't think I've <laughs> so seen that. it's a big departure yeah <laughs> it's the idea behind Underworld is really awesome. The movie itself, I I remember liking it, but it has been several years since I've seen it. So I don't want to I don't want to say one way or the other because again, it's been so long since I've seen it, but I do remember mm-hmm. liking it. Um at least the first one. I kind of gave up after the first one though. Um yeah. but yeah, Bill Nighy is an incredibly versatile actor. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, Davy Jones, you know, as great as that. I didn't even know he um, was Davy Jones until like a few months ago. And I've seen those movies a million times. Really? Yeah, he's so different. Really? And, I, and obviously it's a CGI character, so I would never know from how he looks. But it's just to your point, he's so great and so versatile. Yeah, he really is, you know, and speaking of which, moving on to the mm-hmm. the other fun fact I've written down, this is the third film Bill Nye and Tom Hollander have been in together. The other two films have been in together is Pirates of the Caribbean, Desmond's Chest, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Um, yeah. 
be wild. Yeah, and um, they do they do share some scenes, and they they play former best friends in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they don't play best friends in those two movies, though. No, not at all. <laughs> they they really dislike each other. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, Tom Hollander is another actor that's very versatile because I despise him in those movies, which is means he's doing a great job exactly as yeah. a villain. But in this, he's very much a likable curmudgeon kind of guy. He's lovable, but he's a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's why he's he's lovable is the curmudgeon aspect of it. I, <laughs> I just love that part of him so much. Yeah, he comes in the house, goes to the other room, and just starts screaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the best scenes. Pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and last fun fact I'll get to here. And this is just fun because I used to work at a movie theater. Um, this movie was shipped to theaters under the code name Cupboard, which I think is very punny and very mm-hmm. great. And so I remember ask... oh, when. Ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, since you worked at a movie theater, I see this on the IMDb trivia a lot that it was shipped under a certain name. What does that actually mean? So at least it's been since 2000, 2013, since mm-hmm. I worked at a the movie theater. But when they used to do it, they used to ship it in boxes. And it wasn't, this wasn't, this was digital at this point. Right. And we're no longer doing uh, film reels. It was all digital. And they would have the code name on top of it with a lock box. And sometimes a lock box wouldn't be, it un- couldn't be unlocked until a certain time. And then you upload it on the computer. That's the projector. And it's locked usually until 24 hours before the film is supposed to be released. And they do that so that, um, people don't know what it is. Someone doesn't steal it. They don't know. what Interesting. It is. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's it was pretty cool. I remember when the Man of Steel one came in, and I forget what the name of that one was, but I remember taking a picture of it at the time and just because uh, I still it came in like two or three weeks before the movie actually came out, and I just remember almost salivating because I wanted to watch that movie so bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, that's fun. That's one of my uh, yeah one of the funnest memories I have of working uh, at the movie theater. Nice, but anyway. Before we get to our award section, we're going to take a quick break, let you hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsor. We really appreciate that over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. But we are moving on to our award section. And there's quite a few scenes I have listed here. Quite a few. Same um, for me. And I, I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start off with the New Year's party. Uh, the reason I like this scene isn't for any particular reason uh, or thing that happens in it, but it's the atmosphere. Because to me, it perfectly captures how awkward house parties can be, especially <laughs> if you're an awkward person. And I'm pretty awkward. So, yeah, <laughs> it just I liked it. Yeah. And it has Mr. Brightside playing. I always <laughs> I always enjoy that um, because Mr. Brightside is an incredible song. Um, and then. It's got a little These cameo. <laughs> it's got a cameo from Fleabag's best friend, which I didn't notice for a while. Um, and then, yeah, just having that leading into the following scene where uh, 
Tim finds out about tra- time travel for the first time. But yeah, the the house party scene is great. Yeah, man. I, I again, I, it's nothing that happens in the scene that I particularly love. Aside from you just brought it to to attention, Mister Brightside's a great song. Um, but I just think it perfectly captures how awkward house parties can sometimes be. Yeah. Uh, next scene I have listed is time travel conversation uh, revelation. Um, I think this is wonderfully done because Bill Nye, it it's the that. I don't know if you've ever, I know you, you have siblings. So it's like, if you mm-hmm. are having someone's like one of your siblings is trying to play a prank on you and they're telling you something and they want you to believe it's true in the back and forth of, well, if this is true, but it is true. Well, mm-hmm. if it is, but it is true, but let me, I just love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really love. Um, I have this scene on my list too. It's what sets up the entire movie. Um, you know, it sets up the comedy and it sets up uh, like the world of time travel um, because you have that awesome back and forth that you were just doing. I was going to reference that. So, again, thanks for bringing that up. Um, and then <laughs> it it shows Tim is our main character. It shows us exactly what he wants. And then it um, sets up Bill Nye as being like this, like we said, this goofy, awesome dad. I always love when parents and kids have great relationships in their in the in movies, and these two obviously have just an absolutely great relationship. Um, and I, yeah, I love the the whole setup of how they go back to the New Year's party, or how Tim goes back to the New Year's party. Then he comes back, and then it's going to be a complicated year. It's going to be a complicated life, and then he talks about yeah. getting a better haircut, needing to get a girlfriend, and how that's the mothership and all that. There's so many great lines like um his dad says why would i lie to someone who i'm fairly fond of uh that just reminds me of my relationship with my own dad because we poke fun at each other like that um there's just so much perfection in that scene yeah it's great again he goes back to the new year's uh party and he gets that kiss Mm -hmm. that he he skipped out on (laughs) yeah it's perfect it's perfect uh yeah i just i really like that so the next scene I have listed down is a funny, real funny comedy moment. And it's the sun tanning incident because it's this guy's worst nightmare. There's this really pretty girl that comes over, uh, Charlotte played by uh, Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. And she's staying there for the summer. He's trying to impress her. And he just squirts that suntan lotion. He rushes over there um and when she asked and you could just tell the dad's like oof bad move yeah and then he puts on the suntan lotion but he accidentally squirts out a lot <laughs> and just his reaction oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry runs away goes inside goes back in time and then um he's like when she asks him again he plays it all cool he's like yeah just give me one sec <laughs> give us a sec <laughs> it's great yeah <laughs> give us a sec it's, yeah, it's great and that it's the first um, moment where Tim goes back in time at all, uh, other than when he first finds out that he can do it. And it shows like, it just ramps up from there. It starts off with him going back to redo an embarrassing moment. And then from there, he, you know, tries to get the girl. Then he tries to get, uh, tries to save his sister's life, uh, tries to get his, his child back, you know, everything, this, the stakes just escalate from there for his time traveling uh, moments. And it's, it's a good little way to introduce how he 
thinks about using his new found power. Yeah, it's real great and perfectly stated about ramping up too. My God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the uh, revelation between Tim and Charlotte. And the reason I love that is because no matter what you do or say, you can never make someone fall in love with you. Um, and that kind of happens between Tim and Charlotte. And he learns that lesson of no matter what you say, no matter how cool you play it, you're not meant to be with somebody. And if someone's not into you, it's just not going to happen. And I think that's an important life lesson. You know, a lot of hearts, a lot of hearts could be not broken if they, mm-hmm. if they did that. I just really like that scene. Yeah. I have that on my list as well. Um, it's like you said, it's, it's really important um, because not only does it give you that life lesson, but it also kind of establishes that Tim has to be moral and ethical with how he uses a time travel because if it worked mm-hmm. right off the bat and all of a sudden he's getting all like the hot girls and whatever, then you could start not liking Tim um, if he uses this just to, you know, for lack of a better term, like get laid or get get dates or stuff like that. Um, but he learned, like he said, like you said, he learns that lesson early that you can't force someone to love you. Um, sometimes it, the time just isn't right. Uh, the person just isn't right, whatever it is. And you have to... Uh, yeah, you have to just move on and learn from it. And I, I love that it demonstrates that so early. And I think that's part of what the movie does so well is setting up things early so that you're invested in the characters and you're on their on their side with what they're doing and you understand everything that's going on as well. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it's also important because it teaches, you know, respect people too. You know, yeah, if someone yeah. tells you no, or someone respect that and move on. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Next scene I have listed is first kiss between Tom and Mary. I just think that this is much like the movie itself. It's so sweet because of all that poor guy goes through to to get to meet her again. Because obviously they meet at the uh, blind date or the the completely dark date. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, which, by the way, I don't know how that would work. It's very romantic and everything, but could you imagine eating like that in the dark, like pitch black? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I've thought about that. It's You don't know what you're getting on your fork. Uh, you don't know how much is left. <laughs> you're going to, I know I would spill my drink right away just reaching for my glass. It's just completely impractical, but it makes for a great scene. It does. It does. But, you know, he go after that scene he meets her he thinks it's perfect he's knocked it out of the park he's got the mothership well his friend his play failed and what does he do he proves that he's a ride or die kind of guy he helps out his friend <laughs> and his play but in do by doing so it completely like ruins everything between him and mary right and he goes to the, what is it? The Kate, um, Kate Moss, Kate Moss museum or whatever it is. Her, just waiting for her every day. Yeah. Her shots are like being displayed like an art show. And he goes, there's waiting for, for Mary to show up. Yeah. And awkwardly, you know, 
fails at that sort of realizes she met somebody else, but then he kind of goes back in time to that party that she met that other, uh, guy at and sweeps her off her feet and gets that kiss. It's, it's very sweet. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. Um, let's see. And that kind of leads, that actually comes after one of my favorite scenes, which is Tim and Mary at the diner after they leave the party right away. Um, cause they sit there yeah. and have, and have conversations about what they do for work. Mary's a reader at a publisher and Tim is a struggling lawyer. And he finds out that she reads and just approves books at the, at this publishing company. And he says, you know, there's just some great banter in there. Um, I'm not going to try to replicate it because you always ruin it. And if you, if you try to replicate, replicate banter between two people just on your own, but I, I love that scene a lot. Yeah, that's a, that's a great scene. I, I love the the diner interaction between them. That's it's very sweet. The way that they go back and forth with each other, they just have this chemistry that works. Yeah. And it, cause I don't think she, again, going back to, I don't think she's as awkward. I think she, her, she's playful and with her being playful and kind of goes very well with his awkwardness or goofiness rather which is kind of a charming thing or, you know, I think it's a charming thing. Yeah. And it, it just, it works really, really well. Um, um, and that reminds me of one of my favorite I, lines from the, from the dinner in the dark scene, by the way, when they're talking about Kate Moss for, for a quick second. And Mary says, do you like, or he says, Oh, you like Kate Moss? And she's like, yeah, I love her. What about you? And he's like, Oh no, her clothes would look terrible on me. <laughs> yeah that's funny it's very quick witted and very sharp Uh, yeah i love i I love the witty sharpness yeah yeah Uh, next scene i have listed is tim and uh meet charlotte several years later Mm -hmm. Uh, the reason i like this is because obviously the the first interaction they have the two times where he goes back and forth with them and he just completely ruins it Makes with the girlfriend talk yeah <laughs> yeah he just he acts so well he just he's so good at playing awkward he's so good at yeah. it because yeah. it's believable he's not you can it's not he's not trying and i guess that proves just how good of an actor donald gleason is which i was on your podcast what back in may talking about donald gleason and his filmography yeah, that sounds right. Um, oh, I don't know. Days blend together these days, but yeah, you were on my podcast. Yeah. yeah, for for that, and we got to talk about how grave an actor he is, and this is a perfect example of that. He's just he's so good. But the reason I like this scene so much is because he is at a crossroads where he can become a terrible person, and that is where he has an opportunity yeah. where he could end up sleeping with the girl that turned him down several years ago but he doesn't he turns her down and i love that he he doesn't do that stereotypical thing of sleeping with her and then you know regretting it and it just you know turns into like a like a love triangle type story no he just flat out outright rejects her and goes home to propose to 
his girlfriend. And I just think that that's wonderful. Yeah, she says to him, this is my door. It looks much better inside. And he goes, yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> it's not like, oh, let's go see the inside. <laughs> it's just shut it, <laughs> shut it down right away. And he's like, oh, well, I'm sure it does. Well, yeah. bye now. There's something else I got to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, and it's, it's, it's great. There's also just the great back and forth that you mentioned about um, when he thinks that saying girlfriend means that they're gay and then he finds out that he's just made a total fool of himself and it's 100% wrong and it's just a figure of speech and then his friend Rory comes up and he says the same thing and Tim has learned from his mistake and he's like, no, he's not, shut up. And it's just, the again, the great wittiness. I, I just love the screenplay so much for this movie. Yeah, the, the screenplay is really good. Really, really good. The wedding sequence and the father's speech. Now, the wedding sequence is the worst nightmare for a bride and groom with the rain and the wind and just, it's a disaster, Mm -hmm. but it's so darn magical and, and beautiful and sweet. And I don't know if that's the, um, the, the inner romantic within me, um, coming out but i just i i really love the wedding sequence and how everyone's cheerful they're celebrating love instead of being angry that everything's ruined which i mean that's a fortune so yeah they'd be a little upset but at the same time they're they're celebrating each other and and the love that they have for one another and i think it's it's very sweet but it culminates with the best man speech and man that 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 scene again this movie holds a different meaning for me now and it it makes me cry every time every time it's just man it's it's so sweet so well done so well done and well performed too by bill nye it's Mm -hmm. great because that's the the through line for this movie like you said the the father and son relationship and that's why you watch this movie i think at the end of the day it's beautiful scene yeah i have both of these on my my list as well as distinctively different scenes because the wedding is just it's like you were saying everything goes wrong but they make the best of it and i love that it has the italian il mondo song playing uh, over it all it just makes it seem so epic and like everything's going in slow motion too so there's, there's a scene of tom hollander just completely soaked without his umbrella just walking in the rain and it looks epic. yeah (laughs) he's completely angry and annoyed but he knows he had to give up his umbrella just to be a nice guy but um there's just so much fun and joyous about that scene um even though like you said it's just a total disaster for any bride and groom and then since the the best man speeches are so distinct from the wedding scene or like the actual like the wedding ceremony scene and them leaving to go to the, the the whatever after part why can't i think of that the reception um the reception right <laughs> I, could, I could both of us are having brain farts here anyway um i <laughs> i love the the best man speeches because first of all you have rory and jay and harry each making awful best man speeches and then tim eventually changes all oh, the worst yeah <laughs> because one is just completely boring. One is way inappropriate. One is just completely foul. 
And then finally, he gets the sweet and heartfelt best man speech from his dad. And then this one, again, holds a special place for me because my dad was actually the officiant at my wedding. And he used a few lines from Tim's dad's best man speech as he was uh, performing my wedding ceremony. And uh, that that just shows how much the movie means to me. It means to us um, and it means to love in general. So I, I just love, love that whole entire sequence. Well, that's awesome, man. I didn't know your dad was the efficient at your wedding. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. That's really cool. Thanks. Um, next scene I have listed here is Tim taking his sister back in time. Now his sister's kind of, I wouldn't say she's on the wrong path or like a, awful path but she's kind of on a self-destructive path i guess you could yeah. say yeah and she has a really terrible car accident and tim decides that he's going to try to make her life better so takes her back in time to the guy that she was hung up hung up on for several years and Finally, you know, she kind of kicks him to the side. She actually actually falls in love with Tim's best friend. What's his name? Jay. Uh, Jay. Yeah. And this is where, though, it shows the price of doing something like that. And when he goes to see his daughter, Tim sees that it's not a daughter anymore. Right. <laughs> it's a son. Yep. <laughs> and this is when the revelation comes that you can't fix everything. You know, you can't go back in time and, and fix everything. So he has to redo that and let his sister go through the mistakes in life, which I think is a, a, a great moral message. And that is sometimes it's, it is, this is harsh, but sometimes it is best to let those that you care about and love fall on their face sometimes so that they can pick themselves up. Not saying, you know, do that all the time or anything like that, obviously, but sometimes that that's the best way to do it. You know, you can only learn from experience. Yeah, exactly. You can only learn from experience. And I just, I, I, again, this movie has a lot of great themes and messages. And I think this is one of the better themes and messages to take away. Yeah, because when I when I was first hearing about the movie, I thought it was going to be this awesome romantic time travel movie. And it is that. But what I didn't realize is that Tim and Mary get married about halfway through the movie. It's two hours and three minutes long. And the, the wedding and best man speeches end at about an hour 16. So the rest of that is about them already being married and it becomes much less romantic. And that's when it has a lot to say about family in general and life in general. And how, uh, like you were just saying, you hit the nail on the head. You have to sometimes let things happen. You have to learn from mistakes. Um, and that this is where it starts giving the life lessons in the last 45 or 50 minutes of the movie. And I, I love that that's in there because it gives it just that extra layer. I think I would still love it if it was only romantic because I'm like you. I enjoy a great romantic comedy or just a, a great romantic movie. But when it has these extra layers of family and life um in general i i think that's what puts it over the top as a all the way up to my number four movie for me number four movie of all time oh yeah wow 
Yes. That's awesome, man. I did. I, I knew you loved this movie. I, I didn't know you loved it that much, but awesome. I'm glad I, yeah. ha- I'm glad I have you on here then. I'm, I'm like super happy. I have you on here. Yeah. That's why I messaged you the other day where I was like, I'm sure you might love this movie, but I'm a hundred percent sure I like it more than you. It's yeah. It's just <laughs> super special to me. Yeah. It's, it, it's certainly a special movie, man. I'm, I'm glad you're on here for it. Um, Next scene I have is the dad dying talk. Um, this scene hits, it hits hard for me. Um, it's, it's very emotional. It's very well done. But the reason I like it so much, the reason I have it on favorite scenes and everything, is because it blends kind of into the next montage, if you will of the living every day twice. Um, and the lesson that his dad told him, this is his final lesson. This is the real mothership. You know, this is is what he tells him. And it's living every day twice. It's, it's perfect because it shows us how precious life really is and, and how much of a gift it is too. And how no moment should ever be wasted, you know, live every moment as if it is your last even the moments that are dreadful because at the sna- a blink of an eye a snap of a finger life can be taken away or li- life can take a incredibly drastic turn and it's it's a beautiful scene and of course the piano score for this movie is wonderful and it plays over this scene and i i think it's this might be if it weren't for spoiler alert, if it weren't for the final scene of the movie, this would be my favorite scene. Yeah, this is because I, I have a lot of favorites um, because the movie is so fun at points. Um, there's a lot of fun scenes that I love to watch, but um, I'm going to agree with you with the, the two best scenes being right. This, the whole thing of his, of Tim and James talking, James is his father of the two of them talking about um, this, this being, the end of James's life. He's, you know, just trying to live a fulfilling end of his life with his family and all that. And that's all extremely great and extremely emotional and, and special. Like you said, leading into Tim doing the same exact thing, uh, doing the same exact tasks, but having a completely different attitude about them. Um, and I, you know, you think about, and you hear people say, have a good attitude, whatever you do, but this is the power of movies for me in general. It wasn't until this movie that I was really able to kind of picture what that would really mean and what that entails in in real life. And it's crazy for something that's, you know, light science fiction like this to be that real and that human for, for me. Um, and that's why I've always appreciated the movie as a whole so much. Um, and I, yeah, I, I totally agree. It wrecks you um, when... Tim and Mary get to their or Tim's parents' house and he has to go talk to uncle Desmond and they explicitly say that he's, that his dad's dying of cancer. Um, which is just awful and tragic because you saw just how he brings the, the bubbliness and the, the happiness and just this energy to the family and whatever gathering. Um, and you saw the relationship that he has to the main character, Tim, and just seeing them talk about how, there's nothing that he could have done to with the time travel to stop this 
natural process. And that's just what that's that's a movie's lesson. No matter what happens in life, life is going to happen. Life is natural. So you kind of have to roll with the punches and take it every day um, in the best and most positive way that you can. And Tim ends up learning that lesson very well and then doesn't end up going back in time anymore uh, because of the lessons that he learned from his father. And that's what makes the movie so special and uh, so intriguing. Yeah, it's the the scene that the or the the line that the uncle says it. That's the moment where I start really bawling. And that that's the line of um, at your wedding, your father said he loved me. And that was the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. I guess this makes it th- the worst. Yeah. And it's, ah, oh, dude, man, it, it, it wrecks me. It's, you, you hit the hell in that, uh, nail on the head. I could, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah. It, next scene I have listed. So perfect. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Um, next scene I have listed here is the decision to, to have the, the third child, um, again, going to the themes of, of this movie and, while they're why they 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 are so great and important and prominent is that this obviously they set up in the movie once you have the child you can't go back after that you can't fix right. anything you can't redo anything because it'll mess that up but the decision to have the third child it shows that you know life does go on and as badly as we want to hold on to those around us sometimes you you have to let go of what you love you know and it's mm-hmm. heartbreaking, but it's true. And life is, it's, it's bit full of bittersweet moments and bittersweet decisions. And this is, this, this is one. Right. He says something like saying yes to the future meant saying goodbye to my father. And that's, you know, that's the crushing line right there because like we've mentioned, you saw just how, how important the relationship with the father is that, uh, you know the full gravity of what saying goodbye to the father means. Um, And it's just done so well. And you feel uh, like we've been uh, hammering on here. You feel everything at the end of this movie. Yeah. And this is where I'll, I'll let's talk about it. The final ping pong match. Um, This is one of the more touching scenes in a movie that I I have ever seen. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, you know, him telling his father, this is the last time I'll be able to see you. You know, the child is due soon. And, you know, all he wants is a kiss. And he goes up and they touch foreheads and he gives them a kiss on the cheek and says, my son. And he goes, my dad. It's, ah, dude. And he says, you know, there's one thing we could do. And they both go in the closet, they clench their fists and think about the moment, and they go back in time to when he's a kid. Dude, it, man, it gets me. Yeah, um, because you understand, like, this is where I can relate to it so well, because I have so many great memories just with my dad of, like, uh, you know, in the front yard playing wiffle ball. We had the perfect front yard in my home where we grew up to play wiffle ball. Uh, we played basketball together. We would talk about sports, talk about movies, talk about life, um, going to the beach and just hanging out, you know, playing catch on the beach, all this different stuff. Um, 
I could have a million moments like that with my own dad, where if I was in a similar situation, we I could think of a, a time to go back to with him. Um, so just to see that really personified and and put to screen so perfectly, so touchingly, so emotionally and beautifully the way that About Time does, um, you know, if everything else in the movie doesn't convince you to love it, for me, that's, that's you know, the final check mark. If there is a checklist, that's the last box, <clears throat> the last box I need to be checked for me to say, yes, this is an all time great movie and an all time meaningful and special movie for me. Yeah, man, this is, you said it perfectly. Like, is there a particular moment in time that you would go back to? Um, with your dad out of the, all those memories you were talking about, is there like a particular moment that you would go back to, or is it just you couldn't choose as there's so many? Yeah. I don't know if there's like one particular moment. Um, and I don't know if it implies in the movie that that's their one particular moment, but I feel like there's like a particular type of moment that we could go back to easily. If that makes sense. For sure. For sure. Like for me, if, 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 I had time traveling powers totally go back in time to when I lost out at a state champion, uh, chip wrestling tournament. Um, and after I lost out, obviously I was crushed, you know, dream was to be a state champion. Didn't get close. And I was, I was upset and I was crying. I was sitting on the, in, in the Greensboro Coliseum in one of the uh, bleacher chairs and my dad just kind of put his arm around me and kissed me on the head and said he was proud of me. And it's like, yeah, that's definitely a moment that I would go back to. And that's why this scene reminds me of that. And it's, it's, right. it's a, such a powerful and an emotional end, perfect ending to this movie. That's really about a father and son and the bond that they share. And that's why this is, this is my favorite scene in the movie mm-hmm. for sure yeah um Um, yeah totally yeah um so is this also your favorite scene um could i give just two more of my favorite scenes before i say what my absolute favorite is yeah um absolutely i know over the last few minutes we've gotten quite deep with the the deeper moments at the end here but i wanted to bring up just a couple more of the lighthearted and fun moments from earlier in the movie uh one is you mentioned it towards the top when Tim first meets Harry, when he first gets to London and Harry goes, who are you? And, you know, they ha- it's kind of like the weird meet cute for the two roommates who eventually become uh, great friends. Um, and then, you know, he takes them up to this spare room and says, you ruined my first good idea I've had in a year and all, all this kind of stuff. I love that scene. Um, and then the other scene is towards the end. It's actually right before everything starts getting serious. It's when Tim and Mary or Mary needs to choose a a dress for this dinner with a, with a high ranking author for the publishing company. And she keeps trying on all these different dresses. And Tim, I think almost every man can relate to this is saying, honey, you look great in everything. And she thinks she has some sort of problem with every single one of them. And, you know, at the very beginning, she goes, what do you think of this first one? He goes, gorgeous, job done. And she's like, no, I need to try this. And then he eventually says, this one's a trick question. That's the same dress as the first one. You know, he just, 
I, I just love that scene. It's so much fun and so relatable. Um, but then it, it leads, obviously, to all the deep and emotional stuff that we were just talking about. And to answer your question, uh, my favorite scene is the the ending that we were just talking about with the skipping stones yeah. and the ping pong. Yeah, man, it's it's great. But going back to that scene of the trying on dresses and he's sitting there at the end and he's like at the end of his wits and he just goes, I'm going insane. Yeah. He's like, I <laughs> think I'm beginning yeah. to go We've mad. All been there. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, think yeah. he, makes, he right. makes so many great faces in that scene alone. Um, and that's part of why I love him as an actor. Yeah, man, he's Donald Gleason is great. He's yes. great. Moving on to worst scenes and moments, and I really only have one. I only have one. Do you have any? I'm, it sounds like you love this movie, so I'd be shocked if you had a moment that you didn't necessarily like or love. Yeah, I just have a couple like tiny nitpicks. Um, one is we talked about earlier when Mary first comes out after the blind date and she trips. I think that's just forcing it a little too much, just trying to be like, hey, she's quirky. She's not perfect. Um, but it's just a quick thing and it doesn't bother me too much. And I was just trying to find something for this section that, and we talked about the whole thing with the sister and how that's incredibly important, incredibly meaningful for the themes. And while I love the themes and everything that goes on, it's just so happens to be the only stretch of the movie where I'm maybe like only 99% invested instead of a hundred percent. So those are the only things that I would have for, worst but instead of worst i would use maybe like not best (laughs) yeah makes sense (laughs) yeah um for me it's going back in time to have sex for the first time more than once yeah Uh, the reason i don't like it is because is it a little creepy that's a quite i don't i don't i don't have the answer to it i'm just asking out loud and thinking out loud is it a little creepy that he goes back and does that multiple times without consent. See, not real I, sure. Yeah. I wrote this down for, um, does this make sense? But I suppose it works fine here too. And that's like exactly what you're talking about. Is it creepy? Is it morally right? Um, n- and not only when they have sex, it's, uh, he meets her at the blind date, but then he goes and manipulates time to, meet her um, at the art gallery and then again at uh, Joanna's party. So you kind of think like, is this right? The film doesn't want to explore that at all. And I guess since it doesn't want to explore it, it's not trying to draw too much attention to it because it has so many other things it does want to explore and that it does explore so well. But that is probably the biggest thing that bugs me about the movie is just that is this right? It does feel a little icky here and there. It, it feels icky. It feels icky. It just, it again, he's not again. It's thinking out loud. Like he's not being a perv, but it's right. like, he's trying to, I guess, make his first time having sex with her memorable, trying to get it right, I guess. But yeah. it, it's a little icky. It's a little icky. That's where I for sure. I, I think the movie is saying like when he went back to try to date Charlotte, it's trying to say that um, they weren't the perfect couple 
So sometimes it just doesn't work out. But with Tim and Mary, they knew from the get-go that they were the perfect couple. Um, and that this is at least for meeting her again. And I'm going to agree with you about the having sex multiple times. Um, it's like we said, it's just icky. And then it's not like morally reprehensible or anything like that. It's just maybe not the best. It's questionable. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. So out of all those, that's literally the only thing I have. So that's obviously my, my, my worst scenes and moments. And you had those two little, two little, uh, least favorite moments. We'll put it at that. Right. For you. Yeah. All right. So best performance, who you got? Uh, I definitely have Bill Nye. Um, well, I think Donald Same Gleason here, is, is great. And I think just about, I think everyone in the movie is great. Even Rachel McAdams, who's given the least to do uh, character wise and fun scene wise. I think Bill Nye, he, he brings the humor and he brings the heart um, and he brings them both so, so well. Um all of the most memorable scenes for me involve him, whether it's the emotional stuff at the end or the funny stuff towards the beginning. I think he's far and away the best performance in this movie. Yeah, it's to me as well, far and away the the best scene or the best performance in this movie. He just brings such life and such energy and is the perfect father figure for, for this movie. Exactly. He's yep. Wonderful. All right, moving on to the does this make sense? I really only have one thing. Um, and that is when going back in time and with to change his sister's life pro, uh, projection or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird when he goes forward and he has a son because the way that his father explains it to him shouldn't it be from conception and not birth when traveling back in time? Or did I miss something there? Or was it very clear on? It is from conception, but the whole idea is that he goes back, like he even goes back before the baby was conceived, I think is the idea. Um, And that's why Uh, a different baby comes out because he said, his dad says in the hospital, it's that exact sperm that got you that exact baby. So that's why it has to be, you know, that's why you have to be so careful as, as Tim about when you're going back after, after he has his kids. Okay. So that, okay. That, that, that makes sense to me then. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. But there uh, do are you other have questions. anything? Okay, yeah. bring them up. What are they? Yeah, there, there's other questions in regards to the time travel stuff, and that that's just one of them. Um, and that your question, I'm not saying that it was a silly question or anything. It was completely valid because a lot of the time travel stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it. And that that's what, like I was talking about earlier, I'm just 100% willing to brush it to the side because it does the human moments so well. But there's just some questions like, when Tim time travels, why is his past self always in the closet if he wasn't in the closet at that moment in the past? Um, also, with the the traveling with his sister, when they get back to the new present, she knows that she loves Jay, but why doesn't Tim know right away about the baby changing? Um, 
So there's just some some of those time travel questions like that that if you start to think about it, it that's a good crumbles a little bit. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. It just come from me seeing this so many times that I notice stuff. Dang, yeah, I didn't. I did not even think about that. The uh, why wouldn't he know about having a son instead of a daughter? Like right off the bat, if she already knew, like oh. I fell in love with Jay. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's the biggest one. Um, the, yeah, why, that would why is he be. in the closet? You can kind of explain away, but that's that's the biggest one right there for me. You know what? I'm going to have to agree with you. So does this make sense? Award goes to that. <laughs> that's that is weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. All righty, and moving on to MVP, I'm going to go with Donald Gleason. Because he's so delightfully charming mm-hmm. and just a wonderful actor. And he perfectly captures the lovable, awkward quirkiness of this character. And I think he carries, he's the main character, so he carries an awful lot of this movie. And I just think he doesn't absolutely wonderful job and if you had somebody else in the role i don't know if it would have been as good the movie would have been great i'm sure but i don't know don't know if it would have worked as well with anybody else um who you gonna give mvp to man yeah um like we said richard curtis's screenplay is so so great and it is what drives a lot of the emotion um obviously the actors deliver great performances but it's his story and words that that they're delivering the performances from um so just because of that i want to put richard curtis in consideration or at least call him out uh, or shout him out for creating such a great screenplay and story t- for these actors to to bring to life but in the end i just for all the reasons that you said i i would agree with donald gleason yeah R- richard curtis is a I gave him the MVP for four weddings and a funeral. I, I, you know, the movie has some issues with the, I have some issues with the movie as a whole, but I really, really enjoy that movie. And you can tell that Richard Curtis wrote it. He just has such a fun and light nature to his writing that makes it very accessible to really everyone. And I, I love his writing and he does a wonderful job directing and writing this one. So yeah, I, he definitely for consideration, but yeah, man, Donald Gleason, he crushes it in this movie. Yeah. I saw an interview but on I, YouTube with Richard Curtis. Um, and he talked about how each of his movies is about love in some way. And if you go back and look at all the movies that he's, he's written a lot more movies and shows than he's directed. But if you look back at all this different stuff that he's written, he, does deal with and address love whether it's uh friendship love familial love romantic love um and i think obviously we've we've gone into a ton of depth here um but he goes into love in such a unique and special way in this movie and that's why i had him in consideration at all yeah he he puts yeah he's done what love actually bridget jones diary um about time about time obviously um yeah the guy had four weddings and a funeral which got him an oscar nomination like he he's a terrific writer i I like his writing 
Yeah, even the the lesser liked but still solid movies yesterday and um, Mamma Mia 2, both of those are written by him and they're they're solid in their messaging, at least about love. Yeah, completely agree, man. But at the end of the day, why would you recommend this movie to somebody that hasn't seen it? What would be your uh, what what would be the reasoning why you would recommend somebody see this? For a lot of reasons, uh, obviously we've we've hit on a ton of reasons why we love the movie. But I think that this movie has something for just about every phase of life, um, except for childhood. Maybe you can relate to Tim being like an adolescent slash young adult first moving into life outside your parents' house. Um, you can learn about the lessons of living life to the fullest through that. You can even, if you want, you can. Uh, pay attention just to Tim's dad and think about your life as an older adult and in his situation. Um, and I can't wait maybe in 20 years to be in a different phase of my own life and to see how this movie might hit me differently. Because like I said, my dad and I both love this movie, but I'm sure it's for very different reasons. Like my dad thinks about it because of how it affects he and his dad, but also how it affects himself and his three sons. Um, so this has something for all the, the the different phases of life. It talks about moving on after death or after loss, um, learning from others and taking the lessons that they will give you, your relationship to your family, and obviously the father and son relationship specifically. Uh, and ultimately, this is a very hope, hopeful movie, even though it's heartbreaking at the end and you're probably going to shed a tear or two or 50. Um, there's hope and it gives you very happy messages about life and about its meaningfulness. And uh, that's what I choose to take with me. Uh, and that's why I love the movie to, you know, to no end. Man, I'm not even going to try to top that. <laughs> I, I could not have said it better myself. This movie, I'm going to echo everything you said. This movie's wonderful. And so, yeah, if you don't believe me, just rewind this back and listen to exactly what Robert said again. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely wonderful movie. Yes. But that is it for this week's show, guys. Robert, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on again. Um, in the meantime, where can people get more of your thoughts? Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me on. Um, in the meantime, you can hear my my long thoughts at my podcast, Robert's Thoughts Movie Cast. Uh, I write at roberts-thoughts.com and, of course, at sifpop.com. Then on social media, I'm at underscore Rob's Thoughts on Twitter and at Robert's Thoughts on Instagram. So come find me there and have a conversation if you'd like. Perfect. Um as I said, uh, this was our last week of British films. We've gone over some of my favorite films uh, that are ma mainly uh, primarily uh, set in uh, or around British people or things. Um, we'll be back next week with our new theme, horror, which is, you know, October. So go figure. Mm -hmm. And we'll be go over, going over so many great horror films films like the evil dead the exorcist um the scariest movie of all time i think hereditary and probably one of the more iconic films of the 90s 
Scream. And of course, on Ben Davis uh, Movie Podcast on Instagram, I'm actually taking in uh, recommendations for uh, horror films that you want me to review or write little blurbs about on there. Because the whole month of October, I will be watching nothing but horror films. So, Robert, pray for me. You know my feelings about Hereditary and what that movie did to me psychologically. Yeah, it broke me. I commend you for me. that. Yeah, my uh, one of my friends, Carrie, will actually be on here uh, talking about Hereditary. So that uh, that's going to be fun. <laughs> that's going to be right. fun. Excited but in the meantime, be sure to do what? I'm excited to listen. Do what? Yeah, man. It's I'm, it's uh, it's going to be fun. Um, but in the meantime, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Uh, make sure you can stay up to date with all my latest content. Um, you can even follow me over at uh, Instagram at Ben Davis Movie Podcast, where, like I said, I'm holding a poll. Uh, this podcast drops on Monday. Um, I'm holding a poll on there for films. Uh, that you want me to write blurbs about. So go ahead, send in your suggestion. I'll review whatever you want. Um, but anyways, guys, till next time, stay classy.